okay. Hey, can we give it up for the worship band? Didn't they just kill it? It's gonna be a good night. It's gonna be a good night. Guys, freaking kickoff. We're back, baby. This is great. Come on. This is awesome. All right. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you guys. So, um, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff with the Salt Company, and I just want to say thank you so much for being here. In particular, if this is your first time, which I think is a lot of you guys, thank you so much for taking the step of faith it is to step into an environment like this. I remember when I hadn't been back to church in a long time, this was like super creepy when I first came back. So I just want to say thank you so much for being here, and we'd love to answer any of the questions you have. The same thing I want to say is we're going to be in the Bible tonight. So if you have a Bible, would love for you to open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we'll be. We have a box of Bibles out in the lobby. You can take them. They're free if you want one. They're like $2.99. It's a great deal. You can open up your phone if you don't have a Bible with you. John chapter 8 is where we'll be. What we do here at Salt Company is we worship Jesus through song. Yes, very good singing. Amazing. And then we worship Jesus through teaching the Bible. And so what we're going to do tonight is what we're going to do every single week for the rest of the spring semester. We're going to open up God's word and ask the question, what does God want to say to us tonight? And the reason why we do that is because, frankly, my words don't matter at all. Nothing that anyone says from this stage matters apart from the word of God. And so we want to actually place the word of God above anything that we say. So if you're here and you're like, what are they about? We're about preaching the Bible. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. As we turn there, let me pray as we begin our time together. Father, I, uh, I'm so thankful to be here. Father, we believe that this is a holy moment, that this isn't like any other Thursday. This isn't just a one-time event. This isn't just singing songs and speaking. This is your spirit entering into this room. Father, we believe that your presence will be heavy here. And what we want for the next 45 minutes, an hour together, as we open up the Bible, as we sing a couple more songs, are what we want is to experience a slice of heaven in this place. Father, we believe that you have called people in this room to know you. Long before they were ever born, you knew them, and we're so excited to open up the word tonight and to see what you have to say in it. Father, may our souls be soft, our minds be humble, and our hands be ready to praise you. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the organizing question I have for you tonight is what would God say to you in your lowest moment? Okay, so as I was thinking about my lowest moments, I started thinking about freshman year. Yeah. Some of you guys are like, it's been hard. I know. It'll get better. Okay, so I was thinking about freshman year. Lots of high highs, lots of low lows. My lows were like my face to the ground low. They were really low. But I'll start with my highs in order to make this less intense, okay? First thing that I realized when I was a freshman that was a definite high is I realized that it was socially acceptable to eat cereal three times a day. Yes. Lucky Charms, people, where you at? Lucky Charms? Yes. Not more? Cinnamon Toast Crunch? What's? Okay. Fruit Loops? Is that? No? No one likes Fruit Loops. They're like, ew, why would you say that? Okay. Mine was Lucky Charms. It's like freaking sugar into your veins. It was delicious. Had it for breakfast, obviously. Second lunch, gotta, and then dessert after dinner. You guys know, did that for a long time, freshman 15. Anyways, moving on. Second thing, second thing that was a highlight for me was I got to experience the glory, the beauty, and the joy of Starbucks cold brew for the first time. Yeah. 
Some of you guys get it. At first, I thought Starbucks was a little overrated. I was like, why do they like it so much? And now I'm like, yes, it is that delicious, amazing. Lots of high moments. Those were both due to food because that's like my only hobby. Anyways, moving on, moving on. Lots of high moments. Also had a couple low moments. I remember this moment when I was a freshman in college. It was on a night much like this, like freaking freezing, like freeze your buns off freezing. That's how cold it was. I just experienced a full semester of college. And you know when you come into freshman year, you've got like goals and ambitions and dreams. <laughs> that dies quickly. <laughs> Anyways, so I was past that, past fall, lost all my optimism. And it was a night much like this. And it was a night where at one or two in the morning, I left this girl's dorm room. I leave her dorm room, I find a bench, and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself and reflecting on life, and I just hit rock bottom. Because the truth is, this girl wasn't even my girlfriend. The truth is, I didn't actually even want relationship with her, I was just so lonely. And so at this point in my life, I hit rock bottom, and I think to myself, is this all that life is? And the, the best way I can describe what I felt in my soul during that time was two words, ashamed and afraid. I was ashamed not just of what I had done, but the person I was becoming. And I was afraid of what God would say to me. And listen, I don't know your story. I don't know what these last six months have looked like. My guess is there are a lot of really low moments where the best way that you could describe that moment for you was ashamed and afraid. And so tonight, as we open up to John chapter 8, we're going to be encountering an incredibly intense story. I'm kind of an intense guy, but this story is crazy, okay? We're going to look into John 8, and we're going to encounter a woman who was at her lowest moment, where the two words that she would use to describe her own soul was ashamed and afraid. And the question that she was asking herself is a question I'm going to ask you tonight. What would God say to you in your lowest moment? Open up with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we'll be. We're going to begin in verse 2, and here's what the word of God says. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. He is Jesus. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Okay, so in order to understand the story, we must understand the setting. Where Jesus was was a temple. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, and I don't expect you to know what a temple looks like, but the temple in Jerusalem was the holiest place. It was much like this room, actually, a place where people went to worship God, surrounded by hundreds of people, much like this room, and then bang, the temple doors swing wide open and in barges religious leaders, gripping tightly onto the arm of a woman. Now, this woman wasn't any ordinary woman. This woman was actually a woman caught in adultery. Other translations would actually say that she was caught in the act of adultery, which means very likely, imagine this moment with me. Religious leaders bust through that door, and they're gripping tightly onto a woman who's naked. They drag her up on this stage, and hundreds of people are watching as they place her in front of Jesus. I know it's an, intense, it's an intense story. I told you. But the thing is, 
the most terrifying moment for this woman wouldn't have actually been the religious Pharisees. Because here's what was true about the religious Pharisees. They were on her case since day one. She knew what they would say to her. They knew, she knew what they would call her. They would call her slut, whore, adulteress, hellbound, useless. She was used to that. She was used to their condemnation. And she was also used to what she would call herself. When she would look in the mirror, she would say, you're a failure. You've messed up. There's no way that God would want to know you. See, as she's dragged up onto the stage at the feet of Jesus, the most terrifying thing for her wouldn't have been what the religious Pharisees said or what the crowd said, but it would actually have been about what Jesus would say. See, here's what this woman knew about Jesus, is that Jesus was different than other religious leaders, okay? Jesus, like, talked a big game, but he also did big things. Like, he fed 20,000 people, very cool. Helped the blind see, also very cool. Rose the dead, that's awesome. And then he actually starts talking about himself in a really hilarious third-person way. He's basically like, I did not come to dismantle the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And so people are starting to make rumors about him, like, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? Could this be the literal Savior of the world? Terrifying. So there she is on that stage, brought to the feet of Jesus, completely naked, with bruise marks all over her arms as she's placed at the feet of Jesus. And the question that she would have been asking is, what would Jesus say to her in her lowest moment? Okay, let's pick up the story in verse 5. Here's what the Pharisees would say to Jesus. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Okay, this moment gets more intense. I know, this is a really intense sermon. I'm actually intense every sermon. So if you come back, I was going to promise you that things would change. It won't. Here's the reality. This was not just an expose of this woman's sin. This was actually a public execution. She's brought naked onto this stage. This was not just a public execution with due trial. This was actually a mob-like lynching. No due trial. And suddenly we get some more context clues on the setting of this moment. There are hundreds of people there holding rocks in their hand, chanting to Jesus, this woman deserves to be killed. What do you say? It's an intense moment. And in verse 6, here's what we find out, that the essence of this plan was to actually use this woman as bait for Jesus. See, not only is she about to be stoned by literally hundreds of people and her identity and her dignity is being pushed down to literally ground level, she has made a thing a tool to use in order to trap Jesus. Because here's what we find out is that religious leaders didn't like Jesus because he was doing religion way differently than they were doing it. So in order to trap Jesus, they put him in a test. Now, granted, this is a genius trap, so let me explain the trap. The trap was this. If Jesus would allow these men to stone these, this woman, then here's what would have happened to Jesus' message. Jesus' message of compassion and grace and justice for women and dignity for every single human being, all of that would go out the window as he would be labeled a religious violent tyrant just like every other religious leader of that time. His message was on the line, but also his identity was on the line. Get this. This is crazy. I had to think about this. This was good. His identity is on the line. Why? Because Jesus came not to dismantle the law, but to fulfill the law. So suddenly if he says, okay, yeah, that law of Moses stuff, that's not that important. Look, I've got some new age stuff. No, he came to fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies and all of the Old Testament law, which means he couldn't say don't stone her because she was guilty. So in balance hangs Jesus' message and also his identity. 
But I love what happens next. This story takes a turn. Optimism. Ooh, very exciting. He claps back. Okay, look with me in verse 7. And here's what he says. And they continued to ask him, and he stood and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, which is fire. Verse 8. You should appreciate the Bible. Like when you're reading it, you're like, wow, that's a good comeback. Okay. Verse 8. And now once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Okay, so one thing I kind of skipped over in this text that's like really weird is Jesus, like in the middle of the conversation, just starts doodling on the ground. Like, doo -doo 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 -doo. like that's what he was doing in the middle of the conversation. And there are a lot of speculations about what he said. So I've got the answer for you. I know. I studied a lot. You're like, wow, that's amazing. I studied a lot. I looked at this text. Here's what he said as he was writing on the ground. We have no idea. No, I'm sorry. I know. You're like, yeah, he's going to have something good for me. No, I have no idea. But I've got a guess. Okay. Here's my guess based on context clues what Jesus would have been saying to these Pharisees by doodling on the ground. It's likely that Jesus would have actually been writing laws. Maybe the Ten Commandments. Maybe he actually began to write specific sins of the Pharisees. Maybe he's writing stuff like lust, and one of the Pharisees drops his stone. Maybe he's writing stuff like adultery, and one of the Pharisees drops his stone. See, in that moment, what the Pharisees didn't know about Jesus is that Jesus could see through their religious facade into their soul, and here's what he found. Sin. And I know that's kind of an uncomfortable word to use in 2023. But this is not just a story of one sinful woman and what Jesus would say to her in her lowest moment. This is a story of what Jesus would say to this woman in her lowest moment and what he would say to religious leaders on their high horse. See, the reason why I want to point this out is twofold. One is, some of you in the room tonight have only experienced Christianity by rubbing shoulders with religious leaders. So here's been your experience in church. You walk into church, you gotta, you gotta look really put together. Can't let anyone see your sin. Can't let anyone see your brokenness because if you let that out, then here's what people are gonna do. They're gonna pick up their stones and they're gonna judge your sin and condemn you. And so the taste in your mouth about Christianity has been bitter and poisonous because the people of God have treated you so poorly. And I want to say, I am sorry. What we're about to see tonight is the heart of God. And so don't let what people have done to you mistake you for the heart of Jesus. Okay, second thing, second reason why I want to point this out is some of you guys were hurt by religious Pharisees. Some of you guys are religious Pharisees. I know, it's uncomfortable. I know, I get it. But here's the reality. Some of you guys operate in the same way religious Pharisees do. When, when asked about what's, the, what's broken about your campus, what's broken about your city, what's broken about our nation, and what's broken about our world, it's always about what other people do and never about what you do. Our culture loves this language. Hey, you know what's wrong with the world? It's, it's that group of people. Whatever that group of people, it's, they don't do that or they do that too much. Or they don't really understand how to be like, you know, politically correct. And so that's why this world is broken. But the religious Pharisee always likes to use their pointer finger and not their thumb. And here's what Jesus wants to say. If you grew up in a type of brand of Christianity where the thing that you do is throw stones at people instead of repenting of your own sin, 
then what Jesus wants to invite you to do tonight is to put down your pointer finger and pick up a mirror. It's to look at your own sin. And here's why. It's because Jesus can see it. You may be able to hide it from the people in your life, but Jesus can look through your religious facade and get into the depths and crevices of your soul. He is not confused by your brokenness. And so it's either you name your sin to Jesus or he will name it for you. So here's my invitation for you tonight. Put down the pointer finger and pick up the mirror. Okay. To finish up this story, let's finally look at what Jesus said to the woman. Verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you from go on and sin no more. Okay, guys, this is honestly one of the stinking most beautiful stories in the Bible. Like, holy cow, sweating out of my eyes. Like, that's what you should be you should feeling at this point. But get this. This is so beautiful. She's on the stage. Jesus is with her. And stone by stone hits the ground instead of hitting this woman. Because of what Jesus did to protect her and save her, stone by stone, tear by tear, is rushing out of her eyes. And one by one, every single religious leader that dragged her out of that bedroom and plopped her on the middle of the temple floor is now walking away. And then, this is so beautiful, I just, I love the Bible. She makes eye contact with Jesus. And I love how it says that it's just them there. And suddenly, she's trembling, right? Because she's like, dude, Jesus, I've messed up. I'm broken, dude. I'm in desperate need of help. I don't know if you'd want to love someone as unlovable as me. I don't know if you want to care for someone as broken as me. And she's sitting there with Jesus, eye contact with him. Thinking through all of her past, thinking through the way that her father likely left her as a child, thinking through the way that she had to sell her body for money, thinking through the way that she had to give her body away so that she could finally feel loved and not so lonely. And then she's sitting there with Jesus, and all of that is running through her mind. And then he says four words that would radically reshape her soul. He says, neither do I condemn you. And with those four words, her heart would actually slow down. And she would see that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, the savior of the world, has now not just given her condemnation, but given her deep comfort. Okay. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're not done yet. But the reason why I'm going to ask you to do that is because I think in a room like this, where there's hundreds of people here, it can be really tempting to think that this sermon is for someone else. But here's what I want to invite you to. I want you to invite you to close your eyes. Because tonight, the only people that are here in this room is you and Jesus. Much like this woman, much like this woman who encountered Jesus and everything was rushing through her mind. Here's what I want you to think through. I want you to think of every single moment where you felt afraid and ashamed. I want you to think of every low moment where you felt broken, unlovable, too far gone for the grace of God. And I want you to look deep into the eyes of Jesus and imagine with your mind's eye, Jesus looking back at you. Stones all over the room of people who drop their stones because of Jesus' command. And look into his eyes and hear him say to you, you are not condemned.
all of the shame you've carried in here with tonight. If you believe in Jesus, you can leave it here at the door. You can walk away free from the porn addiction that no matter how many times you try to quit, you cannot quit. From every morning these last six months where you wake up hungover with a pounding headache, not knowing who you were with last night. The shame that you carry from letting your parents down or letting your friends down. The shame in your heart. When you look at Jesus, here's what he can offer you in four words. Forgiveness and freedom of your shame. Neither does he condemn you. If you believe in Jesus, he can offer you freedom from your shame. Tonight, it's just you and Jesus. There's no one else in this room. Look to him. Okay, you can open your eyes. I wanted to share that with you because this is the authentic encountering of Jesus. And I say that with you because even as I read this story, I can just sense in this room there's so many of you who you actually don't view Jesus that way. You don't view God that way. Your perception of God has always been that he is disappointed and condemning you. But here's what we learn in John chapter 8, that when you encounter Jesus, every single gosh darn time, you are met with grace. And I'm, I actually mean that. Like, I, I got saved when I was 16 years old, and I started watching porn when I was like a 12-year-old kid. And I was addicted every day, maybe twice a day, maybe three times a day, I don't know, but every single day. And even after I became a Christian, I remember struggling with this porn addiction, feeling so ashamed and afraid of what Jesus would do. I was afraid that if I brought my sin to Jesus, he would condemn me for my sin. And here's what I got in return. He met me with grace. When I was walking out of that dorm room of that girl's dorm, when I was in freshman year of college, when I was broken over my own sin, broken over my own brokenness, when I thought that Jesus would not want to be with someone as broken as me, he met me with grace. When I hopped on staff and I was doing pastoral ministry and I couldn't forgive my father for what he had done, he met me with grace. And just a year and a half ago, when I was leading this ministry, and I was struggling with such deep depression that I was doubting my faith, doubting if God was real, doubting if Jesus was still the Lord of my life, he met me with grace. And so here's the invitation for you. 2,000 years later, the same four words can lift the shame off of your heart and invite you into a deep relationship with Jesus. If you've not experienced a gracious God, you have not met Jesus. He will meet you with grace. Okay. As I call the worship band back up, here's how I want to close tonight. I want to actually emphasize the second half of that verse. Okay, so that first half of that verse is neither do I condemn you. It's an invitation into a grace-filled relationship with Jesus. But the second half of that verse is go and sin no more. Now, you might be asking yourself, why would Jesus end this conversation this way? And here's why. It's because Jesus understood something incredibly important. If you leave and this is the only thing that you remember, here's what I want you to remember. That stones could break her body, but her sin would kill her soul. See, the simple reality about this story is that Jesus understood that sin is like a slight poison in your water. The more you drink it, the sicker you get. The less vision you get for your life, the less fulfillment and joy you experience in your life. He understood something about sin that many of us forget. That sin is subtle, but sin will kill you. 
So here he is with this woman. I just love how Jesus operates. It's so different than, you know, us. He's there with this woman, and he forgives her for all of her past sin. And then he invites her into a new life of freedom. Like, can you just imagine with me if you had complete freedom in your life? Like, you didn't have to go to sin to feel loved. You didn't have to sleep with someone just to know that someone cared about you. You didn't have to get wasted to forget about the pain of your childhood. You could actually just run to Jesus and experience full freedom in Christ. Can you imagine how good that would be? And here's what Jesus was saying to her with that two-part sentence. I forgive you of everything you've done, and I want to invite you into a life that's better than you could ever imagine. Isn't that so good? The gospel is this incredible vision. The full gospel is this incredible vision of grace and truth of salvation and sanctification. Sanctification is a big word to describe you becoming more like Jesus every single day for the rest of your life. It's this full gospel narrative that actually draws us in to believe in Jesus and then become more whole, more joyful human beings the longer we walk with him. It's a vision of freedom for the rest of your life and a vision of spending eternity with God forever. Now, if you come to Salt Company this spring, here's what I can promise you. We will give you the full gospel. We will not preach the first half of that sentence only. Neither do I condemn you. We'll not give you really easy things to take away. You're probably not going to have like a list of three things to like really do this week from this sermon. We will convict you and call you to a higher standard of following Jesus. We will do that. But I think actually for many of you in this room, the ditch has actually been the opposite which is neither do I condemn you, or sorry, go and sin no more. See, here's what religion does. Religion actually takes that sentence that Jesus said, neither do I condemn you and go and sin no more, and it actually switches the order, and it says this, go and sin no more, and then God won't condemn you. Islam says, go and sin no more, and then Allah will have favor on you. Buddhism says, you want nirvana? Well, you better take your life under control. Hinduism says if you want to actually experience freedom, you got to live this life really, really hard so that in your next reproduced life, you can actually have freedom. Here's what Jesus says. You are not condemned. Go and sin no more. Okay. So here's how I want to end our time together. We've been talking this whole time about what Jesus would say to this woman in her lowest moment. I actually want to end our time together by asking the question, what would God say to us in his lowest moment? Fast forward 11 chapters, and we find this moment in John chapter 19. Keep in mind, the setting is different. We're no longer at a temple, but we're now on a hill. She's not the one naked. Jesus is. No longer in a place of worship, but in a place of crucifixion. Jesus Christ would be hanging on a cross, completely naked, completely exposed, completely left to die. And his last three words that he would whisper out of his mouth was, it is finished. See, Saul Company, the reason why he could say to her, you are not condemned, is not because she was a good person, not because she was religious enough, not because she did all the right things, but because a couple months later, Jesus would say, it is finished. He was condemned so that she could be set free. His body was broken so that hers wouldn't have to. He experienced death so that she could live. This is the beauty of the gospel. It is a radical exchange. All of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of your pain for the life and freedom of the king of the universe. That's his invitation for you. And the only thing that you have to do is address him the way that this woman did in John 8 verse 11. 
with one word, her, her fate was sealed, and she said, Lord, you want to experience eternity with God? One word, Lord, King Jesus, I want you, and he will meet you with grace every single time. Let me pray. Father, this is a heavy text. Every time I read this text, I'm reminded that I was the adulterous woman. And when I met you, I felt completely exposed, naked, afraid, and ashamed of who I was. And Jesus, you met me with grace. And every moment since then, every day of my life, every broken moment, every moment of trauma, every moment of pain, every moment of sin, every moment of addiction, Jesus, you met me with grace. You have never let me down. And I'm so thankful that our salvation is not rooted in our ability to be loved, but it is rooted in the one who would go so far as to love me that he would die for me. That the nails in his hands would be on my behalf. That the blood running down his back was because of my sin and my brokenness. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that the opportunity for us tonight is by one word we can pledge allegiance to King Jesus, and that is Lord Lord of my life, Lord of this world, Lord of this universe, Lord of heaven and earth, Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. With one word, we can pledge allegiance to the Lord of the world. Jesus, there are people here tonight that might have heard for the very first time that their religion cannot save them, their goodness cannot save them, but only the blood of Jesus can save them. Father, would that seep into souls tonight? And would people be transformed forever? Would I see them in heaven because of the work you did here tonight? Father, you are holy. You are righteous. You are good. And you are gracious. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.